Hello and welcome to the Saturday Down South podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Connor O'Gara. The national championship is set. Breaking news. You heard it here first. Bama and Clemson are playing. We're going to talk about that. By the way, I buried the lead. How was Miami? It was awesome. It's awesome. We got some fun stories for you guys. Uh, it was a long drive. I just got back. My voice obviously is not back to normal yet. A lot of screaming. I'm hard, it's hard to believe I wasn't made a meme in that game because we went down there with Bud Light and, um, you know, <laughs> I, I drank Bud Lights all day and then went into the game. Um, it was a blast. We had a blast. It was fun. It was, it was, it was adorable that Oklahoma fans showed up. Shout out to, uh, to our good friends at Bud Lights. We will, of course, talk national championship, a little preview stuff. We're going to look back on Bama, Oklahoma, and just all the, the bowl action in the SEC this past weekend. Also got some interesting news coming out of the, the coaching carousel with Mark Rick yeah. stepping down uh, at Miami, not necessarily pulling the Urban Meyer, but retiring. And then some uh, a couple interesting coordinator nuggets in the SEC that we will get to as well before we do all of that, though. You know it. It's our friends over at Ticket City. We are partnering with them once again. Maybe maybe you're, you're looking for some last-minute New Year's Day bowl. You're listening to this on, on, I don't know, New Year's Day morning or something like that. We're recording this on New Year's Eve. Sick brag, we're working on a holiday, whatever. Um, but maybe you're, you're looking for tickets and you're thinking to yourself, I just got to get some last-minute tickets. Maybe you're trying to get tickets out in, uh, to the National Championship out in Santa Clara. By the way, those are coming way down. Those, those tickets yeah. are not nearly what they, what they were last year when that game was played in Atlanta. Um, but you know, as you know, with Ticket City, getting tickets for college football games could not be easier when using them. They have the best prices. They're gonna get you that promo code CMBF10. That's CMBF10. You're gonna get 10% off of your tickets now, whether it's for a, a bowl game that is today. While you're listening to this, trying to get some last minute tickets, or for next week, maybe some SEC basketball. Whatever it is, make sure that you're doing so on Ticket City. Let's talk about the game that you had tickets to this past yeah. weekend, Bama, Oklahoma. This game gone, went almost exactly like how we thought it was going to go in in yeah. a lot of ways. And we get a lot of things wrong. Let, let's be honest. I mean, come on. Yeah, that's fair. We can't see the future, uh, especially not me. But this game in, in many ways followed the narrative that we thought, which was Bama coming off of Tua getting the Heisman Trophy snub. We knew that they were going to come out firing. A month layoff, no doubt about it. And sure enough, that's what happens. And at the same time, we said, you know what? Bama's going to win this game, but Oklahoma's going to score. Oklahoma is going to get yeah. is is going to be able to, to put up some points against Bama. This isn't the vaunted Bama defense of years past, but disagree. But okay, <laughs> I want to know what this what this experience was like in stadium, watching all of this unfold, especially after the the twenty eight to nothing start and seeing Oklahoma yeah. just get punched in the mouth like that. Well, first off, I want to give you a little background on the stress that was involved. We talked about this off air, but I just got to share it with our listeners because I think that knowing they know our personalities well enough now, they un, they will understand the hilarity that ensued with Uncle Chris going down to the stupid game. Because you guys know I'm not a planner. Um, rented a car. Drove down to Miami. Totally fine. Was excited to do it. Uh, went to said rental car place in Atlanta. I'm not going to give them a shout out. So, got to the rental car place. And we're driving 660 miles. It is pouring down rain in Atlanta that morning. And, and rained all the way to Gainesville, Florida. They gave us a soft top Jeep Wrangler. That's right, like we were going on safari. A soft top Jeep Wrangler to drive 660 miles, so I was not really thrilled. We get down there late, I guess Friday night, um, Saturday morning we go to the game. They, we, we leave South Beach, 
where we're trying to, we're filming stuff with Bud Light and all that kind of stuff and, and going around. Miami's beautiful, weather's perfect. Um, we leave South Beach under my ideas and discretion. I was like, you know what, let's go over to the stadium, start, you know, filming stuff, talking to some tailgates. There's a line of like 20 Bama fans outside the front of the stadium, like just 20. And they are the most Bama looking Bama fans you can imagine, right? So, so you? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, sure. A lot of jean shorts, uh, a lot of like side calf tats, like on the outside of your leg for Ooh, some those reason. Are good. Those are good. Yeah, always an eagle carrying like a gun in his hands or something. So we, we're sitting there, and I was like, "They're like, hey, why don't you jump out and go interview them?" And I was like, "I'm gonna pass on that." <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason I avoid family reunions. So we go out there, and they're like, "Yeah, yeah gates don't open till uh, till two thirty. It is one o'clock." So we gathered the crew because there's nowhere to go. We couldn't park anywhere, and it's not in the safest area of town. Like the where we were, looks straight out of the movie Friday. And I grew up in Stone Mountain, so like it, I'm telling you, it was it was like it's just like there was there was we were seeing Christmas wreaths hung up for decoration on like window bars. It was incredible. So we naturally went to Chili's and mm-hmm. waited it out. Um, you it's know, our favorite local joint. It is. I, I meant to text you when we walked in there. Um, but we go to Chili's. We finally came back, and we started actually tailgating. Tailgate was fun. Oklahoma fans were great. It was a blast. Met a lot of cool people. Got into the stadium. I got a little bit nervous. Got a little bit nervous. I was like, oh, man, this would be really embarrassing when I came all the way down here and we got beat. <laughs> I was trying not to be a jerk, but, like, yeah, that's exactly what we thought was going to happen. Oklahoma fans were so obnoxious going into this game. And that's, that's coming from Bama fans. All right, that's coming from a Bama fan. Oklahoma fans were so obnoxious going into this game about how they were going to do this, they were going to do that, and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah, once it kicked off, it looked exactly... The first play of the game, Devonta Smith, it looked exactly what we thought it would be. 50-yard pass, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it just... They had nothing on defense. I thought... And we, I got into it with a few of our <laughs> listeners and other people on Twitter. I thought the officiating was garbage. I thought... And I know Bama gets a lot of calls. I just thought it was a terribly called game. Bama, after they got the 28 nothing lead, it was they were really sloppy. So it was like there was like a 30-minute break in the action until it got better. But the atmosphere itself was fun. In a way, though, that kind of plays into exactly what Saban would want. Exactly. A, a, game, a game where you still win by double digits and, and Bama gets out to this big lead, but you have a lot of points in that game where yeah. you're going to be able to say, hey, don't go into Clemson overconfident because there were, there were points in that game where – Bama against a team that, you know, let's let's be honest, was better defensively, would have been, yeah. I think, exposed in, in certain ways. And I think that while Tua was really, really good in that game, yeah. uh, it, the discipline issues were, you know, we're, we're nitpicking here, obviously. No, like, no, 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 no. And because, listen, the pre-snap penalties, that and ISIS are, like, my least two favorite things. Like, I will <laughs> lose it on either. I, like, pre-snap penalties are the worst. I hate pre-snap penalties. And I was so frustrated because it, they had four on one play. I, thought, I, mean, I honestly thought Jedrick Willis was, like, going to get gray-shirted mid-game. Oh, that poor guy. Oh, man, you could see it on his face. When they showed him going back to the sideline, he was like, it, it was like, you know when you're about to get yelled at by your parents? That yeah. was that moment right there for that kid. He was just trying to find his room and just run straight to it. Just, just go to your room, young man. <laughs> I thought it was a terrible sign for Oklahoma that first series, Kyler gets sacked twice. I thought that was fun, yeah. And I, and I saw um, Jason Kersey, who does great work for The Athletic, yep. covers Oklahoma, uh, tweeted, yeah, that's the hardest Kyler's been hit all year. No right. doubt about it whatsoever. And and, and I think that, that that just kind of showed you what he was up against and that this wasn't going to be – you could you could try and say that stereotypes 
um, are a little bit overdone. And, you know, yeah. we get into this stuff talking about Big 12 defenses. But as you often say, until you line up and actually have to face them, it's only want. until that moment when you really realize, all right, this is a different ballgame that we're dealing with here. Yeah, you talk all the trash you want. You can do any of that 24 hours, 48 hours, a week before kickoff. But come Saturday, when it's time to line up, strap on that, that buckle that chin strap, and they tee up that football, you got to play Alabama. It's the same with if they had to play Georgia. It's, I mean, it's it's or like a couple other teams. Like there was, I, I was impressed with Oklahoma, and their offense was really good, and it was, and that was their offensive line was was better than I thought it would be. I, yeah, this is not it's not SEC football, and I don't care how that sounds. It's not I'm not trying to be a homer. I it's that's not SEC football. They don't play SEC football. They don't play a physical brand of football. And Shout out to Tua. Tua played a full game. Tua played a full game. He didn't go to the medical tent once, I don't think. Good for him. Look Good at him. Tua. He just smiled, looked all amped up and stuff. Yeah, that, I mean, it was it was fun. I was I was uh, I was a little. I mean, I got a little bit nervous late just because it was like there were so many calls, and I'll, like I'll I'll just say it to appease our fans. There were so many calls I wasn't used to see going against Alabama that kept happening, kept happening. It was like. What is what is, it's like? I put on Twitter. I was like, it's almost like they want Oklahoma to stay in this game for Don't the ratings. Don't okay. Don't okay. Come on. You, you, but like this had every game, everything about this game was like as much as we like try to like give ourselves a hard time about and you know be self-deprecating about. Like, well, we don't really know what we're talking about, or like we we don't predict the future. This game was pretty much spot on with what we said. Like there was it was going to be. I, we thought Bama would come out and kind of impose its will. We also. You know, the one thing that worried me about Oklahoma's offense was the third and 11s, the third and longs, and Kyler getting out, you know, escaping the rush and getting, you know, a 12-yard gain, you know, to get a first down. It happened a couple times because I screamed a lot. Rest in peace, the defender that Josh Jacobs ran over. Oh, my God. I don't know, I don't know who that was. I don't know who his family was, but <laughs> Josh Jacobs owes that man an apology because that was just rude. Oh, my favorite uh, line ever from Boys in the Hood when he said, "You want to see a dead body?" I was oh, like, oh, "Man, that was that was something." But it, like I said, I mean, Oklahoma does deserve credit because a lot of people in that situation, as we saw, there are certain yeah. teams over the weekend that when they can see that they are physically outmatched, and not just against Bama, but against a variety of teams, when they see they're outmatched, they they mail it in, and it's a they'll bowl roll game. Over and die. Yeah, they'll roll over and die. Oklahoma did not do that, to its credit, and I thought played played much better um, in so this game, especially from, in the second half. They don't have an Irish Catholic background, so I guess that's why they didn't do that. Talking to you, Notre Dame. Oh, boy. Um, they're, okay, so I want to talk t- title game because, yeah, it's Bama-Clemson. A lot Wait, of people... We ta- we're not going to talk about my favorite tweet? Oh, yeah, 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 your favorite tweet from ESPN about Kyler Murray. Sorry, it I wasn't, It wasn't that. even ESP, ESPN. Well, ESPN tweeted this, and it was like, Kyler Murray balled out, and then they had Danny Cannell talking about. It. He's like, "Oh, dude, Kyler Murray did this. He did things that Bam- no one's ever done to a Bama defense." And I was like, "Wrong, wrong, wrong." Did Sean Again, Watson? Did he just die? Like what? Did, uh, the first thing, and as it always is, that popped into my mind wasn't even Deshaun Watson. It's Nick Marshall. Oh yeah, and I, t- I tweeted back and I was like, "Well, Nick Marshall put up six thirty six against them in two thousand fourteen. Maybe he should have won the Heisman, Danny." Like, <laughs> I mean, it was so ridiculous, and they they just they went out of their way to like defend that. Listen, Kyler Murray had a great season. Kyler Murray had an incredible Heisman deserving season. I just thought it was amazing how quick to defend they were of him after that game. But whatever. I have maybe like four or five things that I want to kind of hit on for 
previewing this title game, and yeah. we're, we're going to talk more about it, obviously, um, on Thursday. And we'll have to figure out our schedule, what we're going to do exactly yeah. about that for next week in terms of previewing it or oh, if we're going to yeah, recap it. Either that day up. That's true. That's true. So we'll probably have to do that later. Yeah. But um, I think one of the things that I came away from this game saying is we came into this talking about Tua and his and his health, and um, he's still rehabbing that ankle. It's still not yeah, at 100% sure. necessarily. But the health of Quinn and Williams. I think that's a key thing because I think when he was, he was clearly not right in the second half. And I don't want to say that Oklahoma doing what it did was just a direct result of that because Bama had a lot of mistakes. Getting him late, double teaming, going at the knees. Yeah, yeah, okay. I think that his health, as much as we've talked about him and, and how key he is to this defense, is very important to this national championship and facing a true freshman quarterback. And I'll be honest, we're, I'm, I'm going to say some really nice things about Trevor Lawrence later. But he hasn't seen a defensive tackle quite like Quinnen Williams, and that's not a knock on the Clemson defensive line, which obviously is all-world, but just in terms of coming at him full contact in a game, all that. So I think that matters. I also think that there, in 2016, we talked about Bama coming into this national championship game as being so dominant and so over-the-top impressive in what it did. No, no, no. no. I I think this is actually a good thing for Bama. Bama had the most dominant regular season ever. Won every game by at least 22 points. It, it wasn't even close to it. Didn't have a fourth quarter in completion. The last two games that Bama's played, Bama has had to take meaningful snaps in the final minutes yeah. of this game. And they have had to have those moments at the end with three minutes left where they've had to say, we need to get a first down right now. What are we going to do? Who are we going to turn to? Yeah, ISIS game, put it away. And that, I think, going into this game is important because if you look at Clemson... Clemson hasn't had that in a very long time. Probably since no. probably since Trevor Lawrence went down in that game against Syracuse, Syracuse. where Chase uh-huh. Bryce had to come in, and Chase Bryce made maybe the most underrated play of the year, converting that fourth down where he yeah. finds T. Higgins, and they're able to win that game against Syracuse. But I think that that matters, and I think that that kind yeah. of gives Bama a little bit of an edge going into this one, knowing that they have more familiarity in those situations. And a month ago, I would have questioned that. Being being battle tested matters. It does, and it, 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 you could say it's it's you know cliche or whatever. Being battle tested matters. There's a reason they play the games. The reason you just don't practice all the time, you know. And it's it's hard. It's hard. I think it, for this situation, I, I I really you're gonna say I'm hedging. I really like Clemson Love this it. game. Let's I get really it. Let's like get it. Let's go. I, I really like I. <laughs> I, I said it like I said it after the game. I was like, Clemson can be Bama. Clemson, I think, like we'll it, took, it took you. Wait, wait. How long? How long was that tweet after the game? I don't know. Eighteen minutes. That oh, was a long walk to the car, man. It was a long walk to the car. <laughs> I made that. I made that tweet when we were in the car. Um, no. <laughs> it took you eighteen minutes. And I, I love it. This. I love it. Somebody already called me out for it too. They're like, oh, he's edging. He's edging. Um, no, it's, it's one of those things. I think I think Clemson's a really talented football team. I've said it since the beginning of the year. I thought they would be in the national championship. I said I, at the beginning of the year, I called them winning the national championship over an SEC team. It just wasn't Bama. So <laughs> I I think Clemson's a really talented team. Bama, see, in the same way that Bama, like Clemson hasn't faced in a defensive line or a defensive lineman like Quinn Williams, Bama where Bama struggles is when they always say like Nick Saban does this. The same thing Belichick always does, and that's the same thing Kirby's starting to do at, Florida, at Georgia is he makes you play left-handed. He takes away your strength, mm-hmm. and he, he goes at you as, as much as he can that way. And it's one of those things where I I like Bama, obviously. They're a really talented team. I, I think they could easily win the game. But 
when you saw it in 2016, I, I said, I'm saying to my friends, I was like, I thought we were going to roll, roll them. We were up 14 nothing. We were up 14 points in the fourth quarter. And I've never seen a Bama offensive line get pushed around like that up front. And they got if you tired. Were able to, yeah. And I think, I think that, could, that could happen here. Now, that being said, Trevor Lawrence, not saying he's, not, he's immobile, but he's not Deshaun Watson. He's not Kyler Murray. He's not, somebody can get, he's not even Kelly Bryant. In terms of being mobile enough to get out of the pocket, and yeah, I'll say that. That's fine. Mm, I think you need to watch more Trevor Lawrence. Um, okay. I'm going to say something here. You that, think Trevor Lawrence is going to light up the world running? Not with that hair. No, but I think that he he's more than capable of of getting out of the pocket and and running and, and scrambling yeah. for a first down. Um, not Kyler Murray, Murray, obviously, and not to necessarily the extent that Kelly Bryant is, but to assume that he's a pocket passer. No, 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 but you're like, he's not, he's, no, he's not going to be able to, to, to move around and, and do some things, and I, I absolutely think he will be able to. Um, yeah. There is something about Trevor Lawrence that the more I think about, I could make a good case, and I'm not just saying this to be devil advocate, devil's advocate here. I think you could make a really good case that what Trevor Lawrence is doing this year is more impressive than Tua Tagovailoa, and here's why. He's a freshman. It's not just that. We 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 are become we've become a little bit numb, I think, as a college football culture of freshmen doing big things on the big stage because this is the second year in a row that we're going to have a true freshman starting in the national championship. Jake Fromm obviously started mm-hmm. last year, and then Tua comes in. Third and Tua, year in a row, then. Third year in a row. Cause, oh yeah, because Jalen. So yeah, three years in a row. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. See how numb I am to it. Um, so it's the third year in a row that we have a true freshman starting the national championship. But I think that Trevor Lawrence, being the number one overall recruit coming into this year yeah. and starting, do we we don't realize how unprecedented that is in itself. So right. I went back and I found every single top quarterback in each individual class in the 21st century, and I found out who started, who didn't, all that stuff. And it, it kind of blows me away. I'm talking number one overall recruit, and as that that was a quarterback. So how many were there? First off, there were only three in the 21st century. And I'm Matt curious. Barkley, if, Jimmy Clausen. Uh, you named Barkley is one. The other uh, is is more obvious than you probably realize. It was not Matt Jimmy Clausen. No, not Matt not. Wasn't. It was uh, I don't know. Jimmy Clausen was number two. Um, it was Vince Young back in 2002. Uh, okay. So. Uh, Matt Barkley started as a true freshman. It yeah. was a huge deal. He won that game against Ohio State. Um, people were really high on him. Four-year starter, a guy road who, game. yeah, yeah, road game too, and a, a guy that a lot of people were. I remember that that game and that moment where it was like his big yeah. welcome to the big stage game. Vince Young was redshirted as a true freshman. Number one player in the country. Number one player in the country, redshirted as a true freshman because that's what Texas was. Clemson yeah. juggernaut, absolute yeah. juggernaut. He comes in. And Trevor Lawrence has a five-star quarterback in, in Hunter Johnson, who has since transferred. He's got an established starter in Kelly Bryant, who just led the team to a playoff game. Yeah. And they had somebody else on that roster who I think I'm blanking on right now. Uh, that doesn't include Chase Bryce. I don't know. But I think also who also transferred. And I think what he's already done is, is unprecedented. Charlie Whitehurst. <laughs> Chad school. Go ahead. What he has already done is unprecedented because this is the first time Matt Barkley. So Matt Barkley was technically the first quarterback in the 21st century who was the number one overall recruit to start as a true freshman, yeah. and that team won nine games that year. They they were good. They weren't a great team. 
Trevor Lawrence is in the national championship, and yeah. his numbers are ridiculous. And what he has done with that pressure, knowing that Dabo turned to him in that moment and said, look, kid, I understand that Kelly Bryant's going to transfer if I make this move because of the results of the new yeah. redshirt rule, and I'm putting all my eggs in your basket. And I'm saying to you, this isn't just necessarily halftime in the national championship, which obviously you don't really have time to think and process that, but what Trevor Lawrence has done from a week-to-week standpoint, in my oh, yeah. opinion... I don't know if we're giving it enough credit, and I think Honor. let me let me just take this yeah, yeah. As, as my floor to to give him the credit. If we if we necessarily as college football fans have not been doing enough of that this year, he threw a football sixty one miles an hour. I the, the no, it's sixty one miles an hour. It's harder than several, including Jameis Winston and a couple other people. I think Andrew Luck, the hardest football they've thrown this year. He's eighteen years old. When I was eighteen years old. I wanted to get a cross tattoo on my right arm with a Ryan Cabrera song lyric on it, and that's a real thing. This kid is good. The only song he had on the way down. We don't need to talk about this. This is one of the most embarrassing things I've ever shared in my life. That's awful. I feel like four people that. Great. So, awesome, guys. That's, that's who I was when I was 18. Probably had sideburns and a puka shell necklace like Adam, what's his name, from Workaholics. Regardless, I, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't think he is getting enough credit. He's a really good, really good quarterback. His arm, the pass he made, I remember David Pollock talking about this, and I think we actually brought it up on the pod. The pass he made against Georgia Tech in that road game earlier this year where he was going out to the left across his body and fired a ball for like, it's like a 20, 25-yard touchdown. The, the location of where he put that ball and the, <laughs> the velocity that it came out of his hand, it was outrageous. Like, no one can fit it through that window. He's, a, he's an incredible, incredibly talented quarterback. Let's talk about Lawrence's counterpart in this game. Something I noticed from Tua, and this was just from listening to him for 15, 20 minutes on the teleconference today, and just trying to figure out what exactly, where exactly his head was at. I mean, we've had so many, so few uh, interactions with him this year, just from, you know, at least in the beginning of the year we were from a media perspective. And one thing I noticed with him, if you have any concern about Tua and his confidence, whether or not this kid is nervous or anything like that, I'd say those 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 concerns can fade away. Um, yeah. He was super super confident and not in a, a cocky arrogant way or anything like that on, on the call, but noticeably confident. And I think in a different place than he was at this time last year. And he was kind of joking around with uh, Xavier McKinney, who was also on the call, who you know of course only got like two or three questions asked his way. Right. And then he you know Tua basically signed off at the end of the conference call by saying like, oh you know I love my guy Xavier to death, blah blah blah. And they were kind of joking about it. Xavier, ask Tua for me, what, what's his favorite cereal? That was one of the questions. <laughs> and I think that's a good sign for me if, if I'm an Alabama fan. Knowing that Tua right now, and, and I think that just kind of speaks to the fact that he got through this game unhealthy, as we brought up, or, or healthy, yeah. uh, unscathed, as, as we talked about earlier. I think he's feeling good about his ankle, which he is continuing to get treatment for. And I think he's feeling good overall just about where he's at as a player. And we saw him so locked in against Oklahoma that everything from Tua right now suggests that he is going to be in peak form, no questions asked, in this national championship game. And I think that's about as good of a thing as you can ask for if you're an Alabama fan. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I, I think it was one of those things where he had to, he had to prove that he... Like, I, I think it's his, his injuries were... <laughs> what's that line from? <laughs> from you, me, and Dupree. <laughs> I say it all the time, and he's like, doctor said most of my injuries were emotional. Not physically. They're not physical. Like, he, I think most of his stuff was mental, not physical. Like, he needed to figure out, like you're saying, like, can I get through a full game? Is this ankle going to be fine? Like, it's, it's, you know, it's a lot like, um, 
after getting hit in baseball and like getting back in the box and seeing like a first pitch. Right. And, like you know, you just have to get back on that horse. Metaphorically speaking, I don't think Tua owns any horses, but they're really easy though to own. No, they're not. As we as we disagreed on. Not ducking out of the way on the curveball um, and and hanging in the box. That's that that was the yeah. ref the baseball reference you were going for. I like that. One other thing that I think was noteworthy coming out of this this Alabama game where we saw in the second half them take their foot off the gas, kind of uncharacteristically so. Patrick Sertan is a guy that we have hyped up a lot as this five-star yeah. cornerback, somebody that we think has a great future at Alabama. But watching him in that Orange Bowl, it was pretty obvious that Kyler Murray was picking on him. And he is a question mark, in my opinion, for this national championship given the fact that he was put on islands, really, I mean, in, in right. this game. And he, he struggled to defend the pass. Let's call it what it is. He struggled. And he's a player with tremendous talent. But being a freshman quarterback, starting against these big physical receivers, is not an yeah. easy thing to do. And we know that Clemson on the outside is not lacking in that. T. Higgins, Justin Ross. Justin Ross, a guy who somehow got out of the state of Alabama and ended up committing Justin to Clemson. Justin Ross also a true freshman, yeah. Yeah. Big, big kid, though, 6'3". I think if, if there's one thing that would give me pause... If I'm an Alabama fan, it is who is Patrick Sertan going to cover and how are they going to try and attack him? Because obviously Trevor Lawrence is looking at that film and thinking to myself, i got to pick on this kid all day. All day. Because Savion Smith is not getting picked on. You're also talking about a kid that's the same age as him. I, I think I, he's young. He had a, he had a tough game. He's also going up against one of the best receivers in the country. Oh, no doubt. Yeah, but I mean, how, I mean Hollywood <laughs> Brown was not healthy in this game. I mean, let, let's let's call it yeah. what it is. I mean, yeah. C.D. Lamb I, was the guy for, for Oklahoma, and I, I think that – if you're if you're looking for a weakness, an area to attack Alabama, which there have been so few of those over the years, yeah, this is it. I still say it's not. I still say it's the crossing routes underneath the linebackers. The linebackers don't cover well, cover well in space. But I mean, yeah, he did get picked on in this game. I, I'm that he's not somebody I'm worried about. All right, fair enough. Yeah. So anything else you want to be wrong about? You let me know, bro. <laughs> Come at me. <laughs> Speaking of things I was wrong about, how about this? Um, we were both wrong about this. We were both wrong in the confidence pool, but we had said beforehand we hedged. Well, let's be honest, we hedged. We had yeah. said beforehand that we felt, given all of the players who were sitting for Michigan, that we thought <laughs> the matchup was trending in Florida's favor, and wow, uh, the seesaw swung in the complete opposite direction. And it wasn't just because of Michigan's players who were sitting. It was because Dan Mullen flat-out outcoached Jim Harbaugh, and Florida showed up ready to roll in that one dominant second half. They, they get back to 10 wins and their first New Year's Six slash BCS Bowl win since 2009, which was basically like a month after Tebow had the tears against Bama. Yeah, against Cincinnati. So I think that a lot of Florida fans were of the mindset, I don't want to say they were saying, yeah, how dare you doubt us, because we I doubted them very much so in the beginning yeah. of the season. And I said, yo, beat a Power 5 team, then talk. Because were people saying that? Were people really doubting us? Or they were, I was doubting them at the beginning of the year. Uh, as you know. I mean, I was doubting them too. I'm just saying, were they really that upset about it? No, that, like I think there was uh, maybe it was just more more of Florida players and stuff. And you know, you're, yeah. you're kind of seeing. And we'll get to this later, and it might mean too much. Spoiler alert: it had something to do with that whiteboard that they were holding up. That was awesome. And I think you see Florida kind of get its swagger back, and yeah, that's a great thing. And and, and I think for Dan Mullen, what this game showed was that he has this window right now where, man, Felipe Franks was was okay in this game. He was much better as a runner mm-hmm. than a thrower. But he is, Dan Mullen has this window right now where he can really, really kind of get this thing at a stable point to where maybe this is Florida's floor. And I, I don't know if that's going to be the case it's moving that, forward. Yeah. But that that's kind of what it felt like watching how dominant it was. It wasn't like they just won, won a game on a last-second field goal. They, they kicked the pants off Michigan in the second half. Yeah. 
and that defense that was supposed to be so good. I mean, yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I was impressed. And, and we, we kept saying, I, we brought it up earlier because I thought Michigan was going to win. I thought Florida would cover, but I thought Michigan would win. Right. Just because I thought Michigan was a better team, we it's you know it, maybe it was me being blinded by the Harbaugh thing and the branding thing, and you know they they've been ranked in the top ten for most of the year. You know I know they took a beating in Columbus and all that kind of stuff, but you know, it was an impressive team I, I thought for most of the year, and they had like statistically wasn't even close, like the best defense in the country. And this was yeah, like you said, they get the pants beat off of them by Florida. It was it was crazy to watch, but it was crazy to see how much more physical Florida was in the trenches against Michigan. And, you know, we talked about, like, the like the back seven, main, and especially the secondary for Florida is really talented, really good. Obviously, we saw Chauncey Gardner take one to the house. Like, I, I was impressed with Felipe Franks, I think, more than any of it. And I, I don't know where his floor is because I don't think it's super high off the ground. <laughs> but, like, his floor is low. Also, his floor is still low. Yeah, and so is the ceiling. But regardless, I, I was, it was interesting to see this, and I, I will throw this out there. He is much more... I've, I've kind of characterized him as this game man. Not, I'm sorry. I've characterized, characterized him as this kind of like loose cannon that can like hurt you in a lot of ways because he doesn't keep his emotions in check, all that kind of stuff. He's a pretty good game manager at quarterback. I think what Dan Mullen does with him is is really more more so indicative of that. Yeah. But you, I, I'm glad you brought up Felipe because I think this game was huge for him, and I think yeah. that if he suffers in this game and if Michigan wins this game, I don't know, 24-7, something like that. Felipe throws a couple picks, maybe loses his cool, has an unsportsmanlike penalty. Everybody and their mother is clamoring for Emory Jones to be the starting quarterback in 2019. Right. And there are a lot of people still want Emory Jones to start. And, you know, credit Emory Jones for, for playing in this game. We knew that that was going to be the plan going in. Dan Mullen knew that he could take advantage of the redshirt rule, the four-game threshold, all of that. But I think that Felipe Frank saw this game as an opportunity and capitalized on it. Yeah. So much because that's not going to go away. And I think that as we've talked about with Jake Fromm, sometimes the haze is in the barn and, and the body yeah. of work is good enough to where it can outlast, you know, a bad practice here, a bad week of practice there. Yeah. Because we're going to get game. caught up in that and we're, you know, we're going to probably overanalyze the spring game and we're, you know, it's going to be, be made out to be this 50 50 battle. But the last impression that Felipe Franks gave on the field was a really good one as a dual-threat quarterback, which is what Dan Mullen wants and needs in that system. Yep. And I think that Felipe Franks, who has had this up-and-down season, up-and-down career, obviously, did more, maybe more for his stock than anybody so far in this current bowl season. No, I completely agree. I completely agree. And, you know, even going into this game, I was a little bit surprised. And I'm trying to scramble and find it now. Um, but his touchdown-interception ratio going into the game well, it's really good. Than, than it's really yeah. good. It was really. I think he had like twenty six touchdowns this year. Yeah, I mean he had like the most touchdown. What it, what was it? Uh, something throughout the set. It was like, yeah, he's obviously had like the most touchdowns for a Florida quarterback since Tebow, or for for a Florida player, obviously since since Tebow. I think he had the third most in the comp. Well, the fourth most because you know you have like Locke and everything like that. But like behind Fromm and Tua, I mean you know that, that's a pretty impressive stat. So I. I I was impressed to see how how much he. I guess I don't want to say when you say especially at the end of the year he ends the season on a high note. He kind of ended the the last several games on a high note. Since that Mizzou like, after the Mizzou game, mm-hmm. yeah, jinx. Yeah. So there's that. What, what Let's have, talk about some of his other stuff though here. Yeah. So there were there were three other bowl games. By the time that we're recording this, I think there's going to be two SEC bowl games that are going to have finished. Um, yeah. We'll get to that a little bit. Mizzou we're, and A and M. Right. We're recording this before the Mizzou, uh, before the Mizzou game on here on Monday afternoon. So there were five bowl. Ga- there are five bowl games as of right now that are in right. the books. 
Uh, the SEC is currently three and two. The other, the other big victory for the SEC, obviously. <laughs> holy cow, we were wrong on this one. Me, me specifically. I'll, I'll own it. Auburn Purdue was a bloodbath. And I, so whew. yeah, I, I pulled the one eighty last minute because it like dawned on me. I was like, no, hold on. Malzahn's gonna have to like prove a point that he has that job. But like, I didn't think it was gonna be like that. I no. thought he was gonna cover the spread, but the the spread was four and a half. Like it wasn't crazy. It wasn't like he's gonna cover fourteen point spread. No, I thought it would. I thought Auburn would, would win, and you know maybe by seven. Like maybe, <laughs> like maybe not. I, they like what they were up fifty six to to seven at the half. They could have scored a hundred. They really they could. could have. They, they, I kind of wish they would have. Just I, I, honestly, I would have. I would have been Team Gus. And like, and, and may have even yelled out like a, a, a WDE, a Wardam Eagle, on that if if he would have, because man, like I mean, he, they did anything they wanted to do against that team. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. I mean, the yards per play, it was like 15 yards per play in the, the first half or something, right. uh, which is a crazy number. And you said well, they had they had I, what the stat I threw out there was at one point in the second or third, no, yeah, second quarter with like 11 and a half minutes to go. Auburn had already put up 42 points. Which was season they, high, right? Right. They had had the ball. I, no, no, because they had 63 against uh, Alabama State. I guess Power 5 team. Yeah, exactly. So so they had, um, yeah, you're right. So they had, what was it? Uh, like they had only had the ball like when they were up by five or six touchdowns. Five or six touchdowns. They had only had the ball for four minutes and 59 seconds. It was bonkers. Purdue had the ball for like 14 minutes at this point. And it, it, I remember looking at the stat and I was like, Auburn's averaging one point every 7.1 seconds. Yeah. Auburn fast. Yeah. Um, so you said that you did a 180 at the last minute yeah. when you realized this game means a lot for Gus. It, just for perspective, first game calling the play since 2015. Yeah. Chip Lindsey's not there anymore. Dilly Dilly's in the house. I, <laughs> that's going to be a thing. I hate to say it, but yeah, it's going to be a thing. it definitely is. I should have done a complete 180 when I saw Gus come out in a sweater vest. For the first oh, time, game over on that. for the first time since 2016, Gus is rocking the sweater vest, feeling good. Or maybe it was uh, maybe it was beginning of 2017. It was like 22 games that he went without wearing the sweater vest. So maybe it was I don't know how that how that math works out. Maybe I had to go get it from the dry clean because I had a bunch of dog crap on it. If Gus is gonna wear the sweater vest every game in 2019, man, I'll never lose again. 49 million dollar extension. <laughs> Double it. I would have, I would have loved, I would have loved if after the game somebody would have made the joke like, "Do you think you deserve an extension?" <laughs> and just to see his response because that would have been priceless. If like, if one like, and if I was, if I was a media member, like, yeah. By the way, hashtag twenty nineteen resolution. I is me getting on a conference call talking to Tua and Saban. It's gonna be like dream phone. Like, hey, what's your favorite color, buddy the elf? Anyway, regardless, I think it would be hilarious if somebody in that crowd would have been like. Gus, hey, Chris Waller, seven on South, real quick, great win. Um, just want to know, do you think you deserve the extension? <laughs> just like now, after that. That would have been awesome. I would have loved to have seen the reaction just from Brandon Marcello on Twitter, what he would have said to that, uh, who is the Auburn cop. Um, anyways. He, that's, no, that's perfect. Yeah, Paul Blart for Auburn. Yeah. I, what, a, what a performance, though, for Auburn. Does this really change the narrative for Gus Malzahn? I say short-term, yes. yes. Short-term, yes, absolutely. Long-term, no. No. Uh, yeah, but, but like, but short term when you need it, going into the off season mm-hmm. when this is, and, and like you brought it up earlier, we are a what, a what have you done for me lately mentality as a society. And like, this is the last game people will go off of. This is the first game he's called plays in in a very long time. So now it's yeah. like, hey, yeah, you know what? Here we go. This, this is what it can look like now. This is what it should look like. 
And I think now too, if you're, if you were, because um, you know, for all the, the the supporters that he lost this year, if you were kind of the on the fence person and you're kind of the eternal optimist when it comes to Auburn, you're telling yourself, look what Auburn did when Gus was calling plays, and now he's finally going to have a dual threat quarterback to work with, a true dual true dual threat quarterback to work right. with. We think that's probably going to be Malik Willis. Hey, maybe Bo Nix makes his way into the starting lineup. We don't know, but. Right. Either case, it's going to be a dual threat quarterback. So you're telling yourself, eh, you get Bama at home, you get Georgia at home this year. Maybe things could be a little differently. I'm just saying that's the yeah, optimistic it'll be nice view. Nice for him not to complain about the schedule this year. That's right. going to be sweet. Right. 365 yeah. days of that. Every other year. Um, Auburn, however, was the only SEC team that was very successful, <sighs> at least at least to start off. So. Um, Vandy couldn't close. Once again, Vandy, Damn Vandy, when it, it faces a, a team that is decent, and Baylor's not decent, let's be honest. But average at best. Average at best. They just can't close. Vandy didn't beat a single bowl team this year, which is kind of baffling. If you consider the fact that they had winnable games against Notre Dame, Florida, Mizzou, Kentucky. All four of those games were winnable. And, yeah. and, and they can't close it out. And, you know, the, the pass interference call whatever i mean it's it's a bummer it's brutal the way that game game shaped out but this this could have been a great great moment for for right. Derek mason and instead you're kind of looking back on this as like a, all right well now you got to rebuild the new quarterback and you know i don't as of the, the time of this recording red mamba has not announced his nfl plans yet um dude but how is he not going to the nfl i, now, I will yet. say this we both picked vanderbilt to win we did however outside of that which is a pretty big one Outside of that, we pretty much nailed it. We did say Baylor was going to cover, too. Yeah, well, I, I said this was going to be one of the most exciting games of... Yep. I said this when we made our bowl thing. Wait, like, we rated them, um, or, or what do you call it? Like our... What's the word I'm looking for, Connor? It's been a long drive. Superlatives? Today. Nope. The rankings. Oh, yeah, yeah. Excitement said, rankings. Excitement rankings. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. So I said that this was number five for me because I was like, it's a long layoff. It's a first SEC game back. This has a, a potential to be a very high score game. And it was. It was a lot of fun to watch. There was zero defense. It was it was embarrassing, and of course, of course, uh, we've already brought this up I think once, and I was not behind it, so I'm not I'm not falling on the sword. But whoever tweeted out <laughs> that, that from STS about us uh, Baylor getting what is it shown SEC speed that did not age well, and people let us know. <laughs> Good, yeah. I mean, people got real upset about that. Like, I mean, like almost too upset. To our credit, though, we were right about Chip and Joe being at this game. Boom. That's what I'm saying. Boom. We na- like on both sides, like nailed we it. nailed it. it. Like they they showed her. And like I was in the other room, and Allie, Allie goes, "Hey, look, there's Chip and Joe." Because that's what my life is now at 32, and I get excited <laughs> about those things. And and she says it in the other room. I was like, "Oh, neat. You don't say." It. And then I tuck my glasses down off my nose to make sure I could see the TV from far enough away. And I'm kidding. But I was like, Connor said that. I was like, we really nailed this. And then Vanderbilt blew it. Speaking of blowing it. Whoa, South Carolina. My oh. God. So remember uh, when I said that South Carolina would score a lot of points? I, yeah. It was actually, uh, it was a fun prank that I was pulling out everyone. Yeah, exactly. Um, by a lot of points, I meant none. I meant they would score as many points as you and I combined. Um, yeah. they, they would put up a goose egg. And all of a sudden, all of those questions that we had about South Carolina midseason were going to resurface. The four straight games and the regular season with at least 28 points, that was going to be a thing of the past. And all of a sudden, this was just going to be a bigger mystery uh, than we ever thought possible. South Carolina was the most, I don't want to say Jekyll and Hyde because their upside really wasn't high enough, but they were baffling. They were because they had won they they won two games in a row once all year. If you look at their schedule, it's win-loss, 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 win-loss. 
and you can, just from a week to week standpoint, there was no real figuring out this team. And they, they have obvious weaknesses. They still, in my opinion, to be a contender in the SEC, you have to have a legitimate running game. And they don't have that at this point, no. and it hurts them. And I know that they're they, not good enough up front on the offensive line. Yeah, they're just not they're not built to win that way. So you can try and do all these little short passes and stuff like that, but you know, you still need to be able to win that battle up front. And, you know, they have a young defense, they're missing some key pieces in that bowl game, but what a, what a weird season for for Will Dude. Muschamp after coming in with with some nice little sleeper buzz to potentially be a contender in the East. And I think we're we're kind of settling on the fact that South Carolina looks like it's going to be mediocre. Now they do get Ryan Holinsky coming in here, the highly and, touted yeah, blue chip quarterback. The five-star D lineman. Wait, what was what was their final win total? Seven and six. Seven and six, yeah. So Vegas had it right at seven. But the but it was it wasn't it Kansas? Oh no, no, it was they still played that, that makeup game. They rescheduled. But right. remember, it was seven. It was they were seven and five in the regular season. Those are regular season before the bowls. But that's that's interesting because that was one of the few teams that had a solid round number mm-hmm. where it wasn't like are they going to get eight and a half? So you have to pick over under. That was and it was also minus one eighty five at the start of the season. So Vegas. Spot on again. Vegas just knows. Um, yeah. It'll be an interesting offseason for, for South Carolina just with Will Muschamp and this uh, this year four that he's going to be going into where y- you, you don't want to be trending in the wrong direction in year four. I'll just, I'll, I'll just say that. I'm not saying he's on the hot seat or anything like that because South Carolina, given where it was at when he took over for Steve Spurrier, um, I, I think that you could be doing a whole lot worse. But definitely some questions to answer moving forward. All right. Agreed. We got that game wrong. But... We're not doing well. One of us is one of us is still in the top ten. I knew. I, I told you. I told everybody. I'm like. I'm. I'm squeezing all the juice out of this. You said that was a weird reference, but I'm enjoying. Was, yeah. I'm enjoying sure. my place atop bowl mania, for the time being because I know it's going to end. And sure enough, it is. I am in seventh place. I'm in a tie with it with a bunch of people. Shout out to our lone first place person right now as of this recording. That is Tyler Chris. Tyler Chris doing well. Um, He's also, shout out big game points. Bob. Big Game Bob has 22 right now. That's really good. And then a bunch of other people uh, at third, and then a lot of people at seven, including myself, Fighting Joe Moorheads. How many pages do we have to go to find you? I think I'm in 64th place. 64th. Not quite 69th, but... <laughs> That's the, that would have been a win in my book. I only have 14 rights. It's been a tough season. And like, okay, so you made the joke several times, and, and we'll just we'll talk about it one more time and then move on, and we'll get into the other stuff. But you kept making the joke. You're like, yeah, you were drunk when you made these picks. I'm... I know I wasn't drunk. You weren't, you weren't sober. But I couldn't have been sober. I don't, know, I don't know what would have been going on. I wasn't sober emotionally, obviously, because I'm looking at it last night. I, I, picked, I picked Cincinnati. I bet today on Vatek. You're hedging too hard. Your hedging is getting into your head. That's the problem right now. <laughs> Call me Sonic, dude. I am the hedgehog. I have no idea what's going on. That sounds weird, too. Um, but, I, yeah, I have no idea when any of this was happening. I don't know why I was making these picks. Regardless, wait. Let's. Uh, you're you oh. are not in 64th place. Let's. You gave yourself too much credit. You're in 135th oh. place right now. That's why did I? Okay. You have 14. Even close. You have 14 right. Who's in last? Am I close to last? Uh, well, last doesn't really count because we had like 10 people who just didn't follow their picks, or maybe uh, like eight people. Uh, let's last see how far away from that before we said. Last really place. Hard. Shout out to Macho Madness. Um, yeah. Maddie YP 247. Um, Thanks for playing. I we do appreciate it. How many, um, po- how many points? Nine points. You are closer Nine to last than you are to first. We'll, we'll just say that. Yeah, that's, that's fair. All right, let's move on. Who yeah. cares about this anyway? Gambling's for 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 degenerates. What Speaking you, of, yeah. my that's, favorite part of the week. Uh, let's give a shout out to our friends at mybookie.com. Obviously, you guys know what I just said was said. Uh, I was projecting. I was said in jest. 
I love gambling. It's my favorite. Won a lot of money on that Orange Bowl, uh, mainly on the first half. So, regardless, uh, it was a lot of fun. Like I said, this whole bowl season, I, I've made money, but I've lost every pick. So make sure you're going to my bookie today. Don't worry about your bowl mania picks. There's still time to change, just like I said in Rocky Four. So go to mybookie.com today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E.com today. You can bet on the Liberty Bowl in Memphis if you want. You can bet on... Upcoming later today, the, the TaxSlayer.com Gator Bowl. You can bet on Georgia-Texas tomorrow. You can still bet on whether or not Urban Meyer is going to be a coach at an NFL team or an NCAA team within the next two years. That's a real thing. You can still gamble on, and I'm going to, because it leads into our next topic. But, like I said, before we get into it, make sure you head over to MyBookie.com today. Use the promo code SDS. They will match your initial deposit up to 100%. Use it after 7 p.m. Use the promo code SDS25, and they will give you a 100% match of your deposit and an extra 25 bucks. So head to MyBookie today. If I could change, you could change. Oh, everybody could change. <laughs> he ended the Cold War, that whole movie. He did. Cool. People do forget that Rocky was responsible for that. The Berlin Wall came down because of him. Thank yeah. you, Rocky, for your service. Let's cold take the Liberty Bowl because it's going to be happening. Um, let's make a bunch of bold predictions for this game and pretend like we know what's going to happen. Future us knows what's going to happen. Current yes. us has no idea because I think this game is it's 344 right now. So this game is starting in one minute. in one minute. Um, get a last minute bet in here on my bookie, to be honest. So this is the last time that this our, our, cold, our, our takes were, will only be cold for this, this minute. So let's get in, in, as many in as we can. Um, so I'm going to pretend I'm tweeting right now. Wow, Drew Locke, what, what a touchdown pass that was. Um, even cooler was, was when he took off his helmet and we saw he had a Mike Gundy mullet. Drew Locke, what, what swag. What are you talking about? <laughs> 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 this, <laughs> this is going to end up being like an Orson Welles World of Worlds thing. Yep. Can't believe Barry Odom is now being named the head coach of the New York Jets. Y- your turn, you're up. Remember, remember when these teams used to play in the Big Twelve? Oh my God! Great graphic. Oh my God. Oh yeah. So we, yeah, let's. We, I'm gonna give a shout out real quick uh, to our social media because we've done the bowl bingo things, and this this was the easiest one to make. We've done bowl bingo cards of like what could happen in this game, and that this will be the absolute easiest one to make because we talked about Gundy's mullet. Yep. And then the Big Twelve, the Big Twelve graphics are gonna show relentlessly. <laughs> In this, it. in this segment, I, it's gonna be that and pictures of Beale Street. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, you know what? It's gonna be. I'll, I'll give you a tweet. Oh my gosh, did you see that outro when they were showing all the barbecue restaurants on Beale Street and that person got mugged right on national TV? That'll be something that'll happen. What's gonna be the fun activity that they're doing in town? Oh, like at like the pre. Yeah, like how in the Music City Bowl they're always doing like a country song at a country bar or something like that. I I bet so they're in Memphis. I bet it's I bet it's team karaoke. Mm-hmm. I could see Team Karaoke, or I could see um, Dance Dance Revolution. Oh, that's interesting. I wouldn't have gone that direction. Yeah. No, most yeah. people don't, nor should you, but yeah. I, I really do. I hope. had a friend in high school. His dad bought him a Dance Dance Revolution like entire thing for their basement uh, because he wanted to help with his footwork for uh, baseball, and his, his other brother was morbidly obese, so he thought it would help him get in shape. That's a real thing. It might mean too much. Not a treadmill, but yeah. a DDR machine. Uh, Moving on. All right. Big news in college football came out on Sunday. Mark Rick, former Georgia coach, now ex-Miami coach, retiring from college football. Came as a bit of a surprise um, just because 
at this time last year, we were talking about him bringing back Miami and bringing back the tradition. Even though they yeah. didn't finish the season the way that they wanted to, we thought Mark Richt, as Miami alum, was going to be the guy there for the long term. We thought that he had found a, a stable home, but just did not go well in 2018. I mean, after they got off to the, the 11-0 start in 2017, he finished his time in Miami going 4-9 against Power 5 teams, which is just He's horrendous. Bad. So then what ends up happening as a result of this um, we discussed Miami candidates for like two hours and the idea of Lane Kiffin going to Miami awesome. was thrown out. It was a great two hours. It was so much fun. Thank God it was over. Uh, and then, you know, just like summer camp, it went by so fast. And Miami <laughs> Miami decided we're going to bring Manny Diaz out of his job at Temple, which he just got like two and a half weeks ago to come coach Miami. Shout out defense to Temple. They, that was like they were running like a like a, a scheme or something they like that. They got $4 million bucks. Yeah. They reminded me of like those like – have you been injured in a car wreck lawsuits? Like it was like they got they got two they got four and a half from Miami and they got two million from Georgia Tech. They've made six and a half million dollars this offseason. Hey, who needs to play the big time opponents and get that big check in non conference play when you can just hire a bunch of coaches and just you know yeah. kind of invest it invest it in players. Yeah, smart. I uh, hope they also I hope they get they get they get fully and fully. Oh gosh, coach. we need we need that. We Nobody's more excited to be the second choice of this university more than me. You know, I don't want to say that Herm Edwards has kind of let us down with some of the sound bites, but since the season started, we haven't really had a lot of yeah. good Hermisms. And I think good Mike point. Leach is great, but he's kind of really spanned everything and said Hermes. all he can say. Yeah. Her, oh, I don't know if we want to go there. I um, caught it once. Yeah. It's fine. Oh. So. <laughs> I think I think we need Ed Foley uh, in our lives as the the coach that can just go viral at a moment's notice. Uh, we need that. You know, college football is serious. We want bad stuff in the offseason. We we need an Ed Foley. Ed Foley is just Bear Felicia, whatever his name is, Felicia. Eh, he, they're the guy. same person. He's yeah, not he that is. He's the same. He's the same person, but with like they're like twins. They look and sound the exact same, except one of them's all hopped up on coffee. Bear's not though. Bears no, a little bit more not. reserved. Ed Foley is. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, so Manny Diaz, the former Mississippi State defensive coordinator, uh, comes back to Miami, and it's weird the way that this is all developed. And I'm going to get to a point at the end of this, but just the timeline of this is is peak 2018. It really is. Yeah. Because you have Manny Diaz as this very well respected defensive coordinator at Miami. Uh, to the point where when rumors of him leaving at season's end started coming about, Miami started losing recruits left and right. And it was like, oh, yeah. crap, oh, what God, are we going to do? How many recruits are they going to lose now? I, well, I, I don't know what's going to happen of all this because I, I feel terrible for these Temple recruits who committed to Manny yeah. Diaz. He was there uh, for the early signing period. These kids should be able to get out of their national letters of intent. If they're not, that's there's something wrong with the that. system. That's going to be a pain yeah. to deal with for the NCAA moving forward. But I have a feeling that... This is, you know, there's there's more to be discussed when it comes to that. But Mark Rick makes this decision to retire after the early signing period and after the bowl game. Right. And if we're talking about this in 2016, you know what? That's fine. He's a coach who's, he's been a coordinator slash, slash head coach for the last 25 years. That's a quarter century. He's done his yeah. time. He's allowed to go out in his own terms. I get that. But when the early signing period is in the books, and you've already had kids signed to come to your program. Let's be honest. Whether whether you agree with it or not, kids sign to come to a program, and right. they do it. They or they sign to come to a coach and not specifically a program more often than not. And that's that's yeah. the problem. And so, what I think Mark Richt's retirement and in, in in this early signing period and the bigger picture thing that I'm getting to here 
is that I think it's more of a sign of the times. And I think we're going to have more cases like this with Mark Richt, with Urban Meyer, where now with this year-round recruiting cycle, we're going to have guys who are very accomplished. And Mark Richt, I know he didn't get that national championship, but I think maybe 2018 made him realize how far away he was from said national championship. Yeah. And even the end of 2017 probably made him realize that too. But I think we're going to have these guys like Urban Meyer, like Mark Richt, who just hit a point at the end of the season where they're like, "Oh my God, I can't. Th- I don't get to. I don't get to hit the off switch with all these early official visits now in the summer. The way that the recruiting calendar has changed, this has become more of a year-round commitment than ever, and they don't get that chance to recharge. And I think the idea to a lot of these coaches and what we're going to see more often in the future, in the next five, ten years, is a lot of these coaches just saying, "You know what? I've had enough. I've made enough Bye. money. These salaries are ridiculously high now to where." They've, they can make a ton of money and not have to worry about working a day for the rest of their lives. And I think now this is going to become more the norm. So while I opened the beginning of this by saying that I was surprised by it, if you yeah. kind of look back and look at some of the, the breadcrumbs and, and see that th- there were a lot of things trending in the wrong direction, it's, it's going to make sense. And I think we're going to see more situations like this moving forward. I agree. And it's one of those things, too. It's like, it's, it's, it, I feel weird when I was like talk about this. It's like, Guys, like, calm down. Like, like, give, give these guys need a break, or like they, you know, there's an off season. Like, what? That, otherwise, I wouldn't have a job. So, I mean, I totally get it. <laughs> so true. But in this, at the same thing, at the same time, like, so I, I, I grew up at the height of Georgia's relevance uh, during my lifetime for sure, and I would say over before Kirby got there, obviously. Well, which you, now because you're saying the height of Georgia's relevance was like what Matt Stafford. Oh, just let me finish on the set. Sorry. All right, go ahead. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Don't interrupt me. That's what I do to you. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. So I, I, like, I was there for the rel- their height of their relevance. And what I mean by that is this. I grew up going to Georgia games. My first stepdad, as white trash as that sounds, my first stepdad was a, was a I think he's a season ticket holder or something. I don't know. We went to all these stupid games. Ray Goff was the coach, Okay. And I know in the 80s they had Dooley, and they won the national championship in 1980. From, and they went to the national title in 82. Get all that, Buck Blue, Herschel Walker, running back you, whatever you want to say. But in the 90s, people forget, about, people forget about this for UGA and for LSU. These teams were four and, or seven and four teams consistently every year, and that's when they only played 11 games, so I know what I'm talking about. But... They weren't world beaters. They, they, you know, they. You look at what Georgia did against Florida, which is their biggest rival. Hell, you look at what they did against Tech when they lost three games in a row to Tech. I'm wearing the sweatshirt right now. From, oh, you are. From the late nineties, yeah, that. from Joe Hamilton. Like they, 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 Georgia was not this powerhouse that Mark Rick turned them into. And you, you talk about times in 2002, 2005, 2007, where they're knocking on the door of of missing out on getting the national championship game, but maybe being the best team in the country. And that 2007 team, I will say to this day, I know LSU won the national title. The best team, the best two teams in the country that year at the end of the year were USC and Georgia, and it wasn't even close. So you talk about what what he was able to build them into. It's kind of sad to see him just kind of go yep. away because he's such a successful coach, and he but he's not the the kind of successful coach even as much as Dabo is. He's he's so so much more of a mild mannered, nice guy. That you, we to a fault, and I I will stand by that. That's why he never he never had that killer instinct, and I think that's why he lost some games and stuff like that. But somebody brought up before I could make fun of it. Somebody made brought up the fact that one of the things he always said he and his wife wanted to do they wanted to travel the world building missionaries for their church, and I think that it got to a point where it's like yeah. you know what man like th- that's what that's what I want to do, like that's 
you know, like he was bartending for years and years and years. Just now like he was like, you know what? I want to run a podcast. <laughs> I want to co-host a podcast and run an Instagram. And he did it. So good for you, Mark. You and Mark Richter just two of the same. We're the same person. Oh, I've been God. saying it, dude. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, Mark Chris. You bring up a good point. I think. Um, I think Mark Richter is kind of. Uh, Maybe maybe put in the wrong generation. I think if he was in the seventies or eighties, yeah. uh, I, I think his career we have a different narrative with him um, a little bit. And it, you're right; it is kind of sad to see that he fizzled out this way. Because yeah. I think we have a little we bit think. more closure with him than we do with you know, say Urban Meyer, who you know we've seen this before. Yeah, and I know that we have it on here, and like it's hard not to talk about them both. I think we it's we talk about them in the same breath because the fact they're two big names that they're obviously retiring at season's end in the same season. But it's hard to even put them in the same sentence. It kind of is. such different guys. Yeah. And there's something that Kirk Herbstreit said. He talked about this on game day on Saturday. And I think it's one of those things, you know, especially now I'm getting older and watching Chip and Joe all the time and, <laughs> and shuffling when I walk. Um, but we talk, like, there's something that like, Kirk Herbstreit brought up and talking about his sons. He's like, you know, when you talk about recruiting, one of the reasons Clemson is so successful in recruiting is parents, like when you look at it, it's like, would you want your son to play for that man? And Mark Richt, is, he, he checks all those boxes. He's a, a phenomenal, phenomenal human no being. Doubt. Just like me. Just like you. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm Most kidding, important. No, but before, before that last sentence, I, I, I meant what I said. He's, a, he's an incredible guy, and I really, I hope, I hope like, the best for him to where he is able to at least do what he loves for the rest of his retirement. On a much different note, the coaching carousel continues to spin. <laughs> It continues to spin, and breaking news, well, not breaking because we found this out late on Sunday night, Rich Rod is coming to the SEC West, just like we all predicted. Speaking of Herb Street, um, <laughs> just not the SEC West team that we thought, and just not the position that we thought it would be for originally. But Rich Rod is going to be the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, which is super interesting on a variety of levels. One of which being that you know, he's got baggage. And if you're a coach at Ole Miss and you have baggage right now, I, you know, you could kind of question the whether or not that was the wisest move when you're trying to get out of this, this, this get away from this cloud and, and all of that. But what I come back to is how about Matt Luke coming in and deciding I've got two coordinator positions that I need to fill and I'm going to go out and hire power five head coaches, guys yeah. who have had a lot of success. I mean, Mike McIntyre, who's the new defensive coordinator, was national coach of the year. Like, a couple of years ago in Colorado. Um, right. And Rich Rod, I had his, you know, I did a, a list of the top offensive minds in college football last year. And I think a lot, some people will maybe mock this. I had Rich Rod at number 14. And, and I think that given what he's been able to do at a place like Arizona, and if you actually go back and look at his rushing numbers of what they do from a year in, year out basis, it's really, really impressive. And, and maybe he doesn't get enough credit for it because of how things fizzled out um, at Michigan. But, um, there are questions about this, right? Rich Rod's quarterbacks, and I'm not sure how much power he's really going to get in that offense. It's Ole Miss isn't going to reinvent the wheel. It's going to do what it's been doing. It's going to spread teams out. But Rich Rod's offense was really predicated on a dual-threat quarterback. I mean, this is the same guy who said, you know what, Ryan Mallett, you're this five-star stud, number one quarterback recruit in the country, and I don't care who you are because I have Tate Forcier, and I'm going to bring in right. Tate Forcier to run my offense, little five-foot-nothing guy. And that, that's who Rich Rod has been. And we saw, you know, Khalil Tate struggling to deal with the transition when he went to Kevin Sumlin this year when he took over at Arizona. And I, I question how that fit is really going to work because Matt Corral is not necessarily that dual-threat guy. He can move and get open out of the pocket, but he's not going to be a guy that's going to want to run a lot. So I guess that's my long-winded way of saying 
I don't know who's going to really have that much power in, in all this. I kind of think that Matt Luke is still running the show, but Rich Rod yeah. won a job, and this was late in the cycle. And credit Matt Luke for being humble enough to bring this guy into his into his coaching office and say, you know what? We need more experience. I, I need to show these guys the, you know, the, the brass that I can be that guy. So credit to Matt Luke. And who better to do that than somebody that was able to leave his job under scrutiny and, um, you know, uh, a little bit of a scandal. That's what Ole Miss needs right now. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I just, I, I love the hire because I think Rich Rod, I, I was impressed that Rich Rod was humble enough to even take it. Right, right. Um, because, you know, and I agree with everything you said. I, I have a hard time hearing about Rich Rod, especially this time of year, without thinking of his lovely wife, Rita. Oh, boy. Refused to live in Tuscaloosa. Oh boy, you that the was sole, sole reason for, for the Alabama dynasty. No, I mean like I I think it's a good hire, man. He, he's you look what he, the numbers he put up against teams and like what he was able to do with West Virginia. And I tell you, and the reason why I think that's important, he wasn't able to do that at Michigan, obviously. And you talk about the take four CA thing, but the numbers he was able to put up with a guy like Pat White, you know, from Daphne, Alabama, this three star recruit. Who was a defensive back, Good and point. then people wanted, yep. people did not want to like start at quarterback and all that kind of stuff. That's the kind of talent that he was able to bring into West Virginia. Outside of Noel Devine, I don't remember them getting these marquee guys that were really putting up just like ridiculous numbers at the prep level and and being able to be a five star recruit and, and a blue chip prospect, and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying they didn't have them every now and then because you had a lot of talent. Adam Pacman Jones, another great guy. Regardless, I think it was. It was impressive what he was able to do with that kind of recruiting class, or those 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 recruiting classes and those recruits. I think he'll have a lot of success being able to do that at a place like Ole Miss, especially with this like a recruiting hotbed. No doubt about it. Um, let's talk about a place where the offensive coordinator position is still open, and according to Jeremy Pruitt, it's kind of overrated. Um, <laughs> how in the world does Tennessee not have an offensive coordinator yet? We've interviewed about <laughs> 17 people, and I, I tell you what, I, it's been a holiday season. Hell, gift wrapping, y'all. How hard is gift wrapping? My thumbs, trying to put something about them bows. You ever use a scissor thing where you make a little little crinkle fry thing? Those are hard. That's that's what I want to talk about. Anyway, what was the question? Let's move on from it. Like, like yeah, hey, Jeremy, back to it, man. How have you not named a, head, a, a offensive coordinator it's it's an important thing you're going to need one my only thinking here is that they're being super picky and that maybe we find out today that steve sarkeesian was fired from the falcons um your your beloved atlanta falcons oh and maybe just maybe he was holding out hope that he gets a guy like steve sarkeesian or maybe there's somebody else at the nfl that he's looking at because I kind of think might get Steve Sarkeesian. That's a good point. I kind of think at this point, if the T. Martin thing was going to happen, it would have happened by now. T. Martin says he's holding out. Uh, he originally was holding out for the Miami job, for the Miami offensive coordinator job to work with Mark Richt. Now that that's that's in question. Maybe that's still in play for him. I don't know how the you know, how Rick's retirement changes I feel like that. T. Martin is burning a lot of bridges. Right now. Maybe I don't think he should be. Um, I'm thankful for him though because he like he he's. He hasn't come back to SEC. I think he's a good coordinator. I think he's a good play caller. I, I think he had some a tough year. That being said, the Sarkeesian thing makes sense. And I thought about that today when they announced that he was going to be leaving. I was like, "There's no way he sits out a year." No, I think he wants to. He wants to be able to recover because he took a lot of heat from what he was doing. Uh, you mean rehab. And, and, whoa, way too soon. Um, <laughs> so, so T. Martin had turned down Georgia Tech. He turned down Louisville. And my my question is like, is 
I don't know whose end this is on if Tennessee has has reached out because obviously last year, you know, he said that he was only going to come to Tennessee if he was going to be the head coach. He didn't want to take the coordinator position. So maybe there's a maybe there's a tail between the legs type thing that he doesn't want to revisit. But a pride thing. Yeah, I mean, so I get that. But what I don't get is this is a really attractive position right now, in my opinion, because. Tennessee threw a ton of money at Tyson Helton, and Tyson Helton leaves after one year and goes to Western Kentucky. But you have a chance to really put your stamp on an offense because Jeremy Pruitt's going to let you is, is going to let you run it, and he's not necess- They need to overpay for somebody, and they're going to overpay yeah. for somebody at this point. They're they're going going to get into seven figures for somebody. They're not going to do what Auburn did, hiring Dilly Dilly, hiring a 28 year old because Auburn already had an offensive mind head awesome, offensive minded head coach in Gus Malzahn. So. It, it makes me wonder why Tennessee has taken this long, and I think that they just must be picky and the list must be super short because that's an attractive job with somebody like Jared Garantano coming back, somebody who's played in multiple systems, yeah. is able to take a hit, somebody that already has the control of that locker room. And, and it, you know, we both agree that he's he's got a lot of talent. So it's baffling, though, that we're talking about this on New Year's Eve and Tennessee does not have an offensive coordinator yet. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not baffling because we all saw the head coaching search last year. Yeah, and the true. person that's they true. finally put in charge now is <laughs> this the one in charge of the search. So maybe this is his comfort zone. Maybe this is what he feels like. Maybe. But for you just, I mean, you saying they're, they're being picky, that's like saying I've been picky when I go to a buffet. They're not being picky. <laughs> they, they see what's in front of them, and they are going full force. And sometimes the wontons don't want you. So that's that. Um, regardless, sometimes the wontons don't want you is an all-time that, Marler line. That's, that's a good. So good. <laughs> that's called food poisoning, y'all. Um, regardless, <laughs> that was pretty good. So here's here's I'm gonna give you two bold predictions. We didn't oh. do so well in our bold predictions because I'm as I'm watching now, Missouri is losing seven nothing. Thoughts and prayers. Allegedly, Locked. allegedly, future us allegedly. is gonna know. Um, but I will say this: introducing, I'm gonna give you two names. Your next offensive coordinator at the University of Tennessee. I have chills. Rush Probst. Yes. Yes. Or or introducing your next offensive coordinator at the University of Tennessee, Ross Wilson. Yes. If you didn't okay, if you didn't say that, I was going to piggyback and say just that after you said Rush Probst. That's, that's what if Jeremy, Jeremy Pruitt just getting way too overzealous about his own coaching tree, and it's just all, all players that he coached at Hoover. We got Alex, he's going to coach the defensive backs. <laughs> I think he's a young, up and coming name in the coaching industry. Uh, we got Repeat and his dad, Pete. Oh, Repeat. Uh, we'll both also be here. Gosh. Let's recreate two days, please. Oh, yes, man. I'm down for that. What a great show. Not enough people know that show. It really bothered me that I that I brought that up at SEC Media Days and Tennessee players looked at me like I was talking about aliens. That bothered me. Yeah. Do, read a book. Learn some history about your head coach oh, and Jeremy Pruitt. And, his, right. and yeah, well, it's a it's a TV show, but <laughs> get on the internet, kids. Um, let's close. Let's close this bad boy out. Let's close this sucker out. We've got to might mean too much. I led to it earlier. Uh, this, in my opinion, was just a it was a weird flex. It was a weird flex by Florida to do this in a game that you've dominated. You've you've blown the doors off Michigan. I've said that like three times yeah. today. I'm sorry. Um, but really, I mean, it was true. So Florida players at the end of this game get a whiteboard, and they hold up the sign that says, this is the SEC, and SEC is circled for whatever that's worth. That sign itself has been memed like a thousand different ways already because the Internet is the Internet. Um, but this is what I don't get. And it, it almost makes it seem like I get, you know, you want to have conference pride, all that. I don't get saying that at the end of a game 
to me, it's it should be more about what you as a team did and not like what a statement this makes for your conference. It almost like takes, it diminishes credit for you. It's in the same category of chanting at a team that you're overrated. It's like, wouldn't you want them to look good so that your win could look better? I, I don't get all that. But no. I think, I mean, I, li- I like that they did in terms of like, the, the thought was there. Was the it though? Was there, but, it, but it was almost like, you, you ever seen the movie, um, how can I say this? Blank Blockers? Uh, rock blockers, B- blockers, yeah, kind of like that, but different. And John Cena is in it. And uh, oh yeah, good movie, good movie, yeah. Okay, so it's actually a really funny movie, very underrated. But there's there's a line in it where he like he so John Cena keeps doing the air quotes, and she was like, "No, you're not doing those right," because he that's not how you that's not how you do it. That's what I kept thinking of the entire time. It's like. Oh yeah, this is the SEC. Like what? No, guys. Yeah, why did they circle it? I don't, I don't emphasizing get that. the wrong things. Like this is the SEC. This is the SEC. Either just you know what? It's like Florida. what? But the thing that I don't get is like you know after the first you know because Florida obviously lost to Michigan the first two times. It wasn't like Michigan players were on the sideline holding up a sign saying this is the Big Ten. Like, yeah, what? well, that's because no one else does that besides the SEC, let's be honest. I know, but... You don't, you don't ever hear other, other fan base be like, hey, CEC. Well, also, Big Ten wouldn't work well. That'd, well be, that'd be fun to watch. B1G would be the way to do it, but um, that's another oh, discussion for another time. I don't time. like the fact that you already thought about that. Yeah, it's... it's Come on, I grew up in the Midwest. I know these things. Um, but what I what I will say, I, I don't have a problem with it really midweek, even post-game, you want to say it, but like in the yeah. middle of a game to do it just seems weird to me. It's like... Just give credit to your own team. Like your own. Like why do you have to make this seem like it's like a conference wide thing? Like the SEC beat the Big Ten today. What a you know. I, I don't really get that in the heat of the game and why that was where Florida players like why that's where their thought process uh, yeah. went to. I don't. Get I that. enjoyed it. I know that because Jim, it could have happened <laughs> to a worse person. Because Jim Harbaugh's the. I mean, he's the absolute worst. Oh, he's not the and, worst person. Come on. Oh, he's, he's not the worst person. But he, he was. He. It, it was. It was. I should have known that we should have put all of our money combined. Or my fiance's money and your money combined, on, on, on Florida winning this game because anytime chickens involved with Jim Harbaugh, Good he point. doesn't do well. You know what I mean? It's a nervous, angry bird or whatever it was. I I think I think that they I, I like that they did it because of the fact that yeah it's it's the bowl season flex your muscle all that kind of stuff. But, but like especially after what I saw from fans from all over the country on that Baylor Vanderbilt game, like. Like, just coming at us at SDS. Like, yeah, dude, we know. We know that this is just Vanderbilt and Baylor, and this isn't, like, the two, you know, pinnacles of each conference or anything like that. But, like, let us have our fun. It wasn't a big deal. A lot of overreactions. I mean, <laughs> a lot of overreactions. And that is me saying that. Yeah. It was it was ridiculous, man. You're still anyway. clapping back right now, which is what I love. Oh, I, yeah, and I won't later. stop. I will not stop. Because I miss so much. I miss so much that we were driving down there. Like, the Notre Dame stuff? Oh, man. 2019. For the first month, that's all I'm going to do. That's all I'm going to do is talk crap about Notre Dame. What a joke. Let's close things out. Uh, make sure that you are watching. No five-star And reviews. another thing. Kidding, go ahead. <laughs> no. <laughs> No five-star reviews to get to today. Let that be a little motivation to everybody. If you haven't written us a five-star review, do so, because we love five-star reviews, and we'll make you very famous now, but we will read your review. This is the five-star reviews. I put that on a whiteboard. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. I was wondering where you're going with that. I was like, what? What are you? It's like some sort of WWE announcement or something? (laughs) all right, make sure you are also watching Facebook Live. What, what days are we are we doing that now? I know it's going to be a little bit all over the place with you being at the, the National Championship next Monday. Let's say Monday. Let's say oh, Monday. it won't be Monday. It won't be Monday. Uh, Monday, uh, Sunday. We'll say Sunday. 
let's just say follow at cmarlersds to find updates yes, for that. I like that. Boom. See what I did with that? Uh, make sure you're also following at the SDS pod. Follow at CJ O'Gara. Tweet at me about how my bowl mania rise was so short-lived <laughs> and so, it has never so going to last again. I, probably not. Probably not. Let's be we'll honest. Uh, but yeah, thank you guys for, for listening. We will talk to you on Thursday. We'll have some uh, some national championship preview stuff that we will get to, of course. We'll kind of recap uh, all the shenanigans of New Year's Day. I'm going to be um, at the Citrus Bowl on Tuesday. Yeah. Oh, and one little promise real quick. If I'm in, if I do have time to get to that Kentucky locker room, which I probably will, um, I'm, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna be covering the game for both sides, sick brag. I will promise to ask Benny Snell the most important question in the world: When is Rep Benny on. the Bandit coming back and making his second track? I will have that update on yes. Thursday if I'm able to get in that locker room. So get get an interview with Cash Daniel too for me. I will do my best, sir. All right, I'll do my best. Talk to you guys. Until oh, next time though. Yeah, what do we need to remember? Ooh, tomorrow night. Let me tell you something, UCF. I actually feel like I have a voice now. Should we bring Coach O on real quick? No, it's, come on. We, nah, we bring right, this out. No, it might mean too much. Talk to you Thursday.